So wouldn't it be nice if you could have complete control of every circumstance in your life? Wouldn't that be nice? Not because you're power hungry, but because you want the ability to make what you want to actually happen. Anybody agree that I would like to have more control in my life? Oh, yeah. Okay. I I think I would. Uh, The older I get, the more I realize, though, I have less and less control. It would be nice to have more control, but we cannot control everything. You know, here's a list of some things we cannot control if the clicker works. It doesn't work. Okay, my, my genetics. I'm a guy. I can't control that. I'm proud to be a guy. I'm glad to be a guy. I had absolutely nothing to do with being a guy. I think about uh, my height. I think about my bald head. If I could do something about that, I would do something about that, but I have no control. But I do have to tell you, I sport it pretty good. You know, I always tease about I would take more hair if I could. I challenge, I dare you, go home and shave your head and see if you look as good as I do. (laughs) I cannot control my skill set. I can't control how athletic I am, how musically inclined I am, or how much brain power I have in general. Um, I can try to improve what I have, but I can't control what it was that God actually gave me. I cannot control the spiritual gift that God gave me. As a believer in Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift, and it might be the gift of giving, it might be the gift of service, it might be the gift of teaching, evangelism, administration, but you cannot control what gift that you have. Now, that's a light you can't control. We know we could go on for hours about things we cannot control. But here's some things you can control before we get into one important decision that we need to make. We can control, at least if you are an adult, you can control whether or not you came to church today. And kids, you said, my parents drug me to church today, I wouldn't be here. Well, someday you're going to be in their shoes and you're going to be able to decide, am I going to church today or not? So that's a choice you are able to make or you will be able to make. Your profession. If you are a rancher, you're probably that because you're you chose to do that. No one forced you. They didn't hog tie you and say, hey, you know what? You're going to be a rancher. You're going to work in the oil field. You're going to be a teacher, right, Nicole? No one forced you to be a teacher. It was her choice to be that. And if you have the gifting to do it, you made the choice and you pursued it. And there you go. You have the choice, assuming your wife lets you paint whatever colors you want the walls of your house. You buy a new brand new house, you can paint it whatever colors you want because it's your choice. And today we're going to be looking at another choice that you can make. And it is a big choice that you have to make. And we are looking at the choice to live a wise life. And we're going to be looking at what does that involve and how do I actually go about being able to live this, this wise life. So first of all, we are called to be wise. Ephesians 5.15, as you see, says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, really, if you were to listen to a professional preacher, they would say the book of Ephesians is full of commands. And this is exactly true. This is a really a command to be wise. But the fact is, you have the choice whether or not you're going to do it. That's why we are putting this under the category of you are called and you have a choice that you have to make. We are called to be wise, which is understanding. It's having accumulated knowledge that we use to make choices. 
We are called to be careful. It says, be careful then how you live. Now you think about the word careful. You know, uh, just picture this. I'm, I'm hundreds of feet below or above the earth. I'm walking on the edge. What should I be? I should be away from the edge, right? I should be careful. If I am... Uh, if I am holding a newborn baby, you know, you picture little kids that they're just love little kids. And they say, let me hold them. And what do you tell them? You put the pillows all around them and you say, be careful. Um, if you are going to be around somebody who's a ticking time bomb, you better be careful because you don't want that going off. And the world gets it. It gets the idea of being careful about the decisions or about the things that you make. For example, if you're going to buy a house, if you're going to make a purchase, be careful that you can pay for that house. Be careful that this is a house that you can see yourself in for many years to come. If you're going to make a lifelong commitment, whether it's marriage or something else, you better be careful about the choice that you make. Or if you make a major investment... You better be careful. The world will agree 100% with this philosophy is you better make a good decision. But Paul, as he is saying, be careful. He's not concerned about your bank account. He's not concerned about your career move. Although if you make the decision, the careful decision to be wise, it will affect your bank account. It will affect your career move. It will affect every decision that you make. So the best thing to do is to make the choice to be wise. And as we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20, we just saw verse 15 says, be careful then how you live as wise, not as unwise. Well, prior to this, Paul talks about what a wise life looks like and a foolish life looks like without specifically saying those words. He says the light versus the dark. So if you want to see what is a wise life look like, uh, if we go to Ephesians chapter five, verse one, it talks about imitating God. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. If you want to live a wise life, you imitate God. I promise you will be wise all the time. You will never go wrong. It says, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. A wise life imitates God. Guess what a foolish life does? A unwise life imitates man. Verses 3 through 4. It says, but among you, there must not even be a hint, a, a tinge, a tiny little bit at all of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The wise says, I'm going to be like God. The foolish, the unwise says, I'm just going to fit in with the crowd and be like everybody else. And Paul's talking about... After, after he goes through that, he says, be careful then how you live, not as wise, but as unwise. So think about your life. Think about your last week. I, did, I wasn't hanging around hardly anybody. I, uh, it's like I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm asking you to think about your own self. How do you think your life was? Do you think you were living a life that was imitating God? Or do you think your life really more imitated man? What do you want your life to look like? What do you think God wants your life to look like? 
And Paul is saying, you make the choice to be wise. And it is very important that you make that choice to be wise because if you don't, really, you're making the choice or you're leaving the doors wide open to make the choice to be unwise. And you know, you know, when's the best time to decide to do something? It's probably before it gets there. Now you think about kids. You know, before you find yourself in a situation, you've got to know what you're going to do before you get there. Think about you're at school, you're hanging out with friends, there's peer pressure in order to take a drug. When do you decide whether or not you're going to take that drug? You probably better not wait until it's staring you right in the face because it might be too too much peer pressure to make the right choice. Uh, your own addiction, whatever it is that you struggle with, you find it's you're, you're right there and it's staring you right in the face. Is that the, the time to decide I'm going to do this or not do this? It's real easy to rationalize. It's just one time. It's not that big a deal. Or let all the emotion of what you are tempted to do hit you at that point so you give in. You don't decide at the moment. You've got to decide prayer. You think about boy and girl. They're in love with each other. You you don't decide in a heated, passionate moment how far I'm going to go. You decide before you leave your house what how far am I going to go. You say, I'm not going to do those things, but I am willing to hold a hand. I am willing to go like this, a little kiss, whatever. But you decide before you get hot and heavy what decision you're going to make. In the same way, if you're going to make a wise decision... And we're going to look at more what that is. What is the wise decision? Uh, You're going to decide now. And you're going to decide every day. And I would say the best time to do it is in the morning. I wake up. I decide I'm going to get up. I decide I'm going to brush my teeth. I decide I'm going to go to work. I decide I'm going to be wise today. So first of all, uh, we are called to be wise believers. Second, we are called to make the most of every opportunity. Ephesians 5.16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now the world will be 100% on your side. It'll say, yes, you need to make the most of every opportunity. Of course you need to. You know, if you're going to buy that purchase, you need to make the most of every opportunity. It's a once in a lifetime. You better take it. You know, there's. I was trying to think what my life was. A, a golden opportunity that I took and there's only one time it wasn't really that amazing of an opportunity there was this beat up car I was sitting in the back of before an Awana uh, before Awana started one night and I was by myself and I needed a car and these people said I'd sell this car for 500 bucks the car hadn't even moved I said I'll take it and they sold it to me for $500 and we had it for a couple years and it was a it was a flying car it was beat up but it would it could fly it could hold all four of us it was a great car and it was I didn't ask Leslie I didn't think twice I was just immediately I'm taking this car because it was and the world says good job Josh that was the thing to do take advantage of that opportunity of that major investment you know sometimes those things are here now and they're gone tomorrow and you've got to make that split decision split second decision on making that decision and the world says yes make the most of every opportunity 
Well, making the most of every opportunity of a purchase, of a an investment, only lasts for so long, right? You've got the time is ticking down the clock. Someone says it's either now or never, and you've got to decide, and then it's gone forever, right? Your decisions, uh, your opportunity to make a wise decision is going to do the same thing. Your opportunity, you, your window is only so big to make a wise decision. And Paul says, make the most of that opportunity while you can because that window is shrinking it's getting it says because the days are evil now uh, you, you it doesn't you don't have to look very far to see where our world's going and what are the things that are getting pushed and crammed down our throat and it's sickening and it's, it's getting harder to stand for what's right for uh, for things that go contrary to what the scriptures say uh, 800 miles away from here is a town called Davenport. 12 miles away from that is a town called Harrington. Now, Davenport is the size of Baker. 12 miles away from that is a town that's probably three or four times the size of Plevna, but it's a very small, run-down little town. I was talking to my mom the other day, and she said, in that school, they're trying to teach 10-year-olds about three different kinds of sexual encounters. And these aren't even like the normal husband and wife encounters. They're trying to teach this in a conservative town, in in a conservative part of the state right now. And that's 800 miles away. I imagine much closer than that is happening. I just don't know. But that's from talking with my mom. And at the age of 10, I personally don't really think they need to understand totally the birds and the bees at that point, let alone these three other things that are not natural. But they think these kids need to do that. That opportunity to stand for what's right is getting smaller and smaller. The days are getting more evil and evil, faster and faster. Scripture in Romans 1.30 describes our world perfectly today uh, where it says they are inventing ways of doing evil. They are inventing ways. Whatever is right is now wrong. Whatever was wrong is now right. That is the way our world's going. And you only have so much time where you can make a wise decision before it's going to get harder and harder and more costly and more costly. And Paul says, take advantage of of it while you can. Be wise and make that choice now. So we're talking about we need to make wise choices. We need to make those wise choices now. We, uh, We only have so long in order to do that. But how do we know what are those wise choices? Anybody want to throw out an answer? How do I know where what these wise choices are? Where am I going to find the answers about what is wise? God's word. Somebody should get a sucker or a piece of candy or something. Yes, God's word. Um, number three says we are called to understand the Lord's will. Ephesians 5, 6, 5, 17 says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, how many times have you heard people say, I wish I knew what God wanted me to do? I wish I could know God's will for my life. You know, I've I've heard it. Have you ever wondered what you should do with your own life? What is God's will for my own life? You know, we think of it in terms of, should I buy that car that Josh bought? Should I take that job? Should I join that activity? And we think of it in terms of that immediate uh, situation where I want something. But how often do we think about the bigger picture? 
about living, getting, seeing what God wants for me on a spiritual realm as opposed to just the physical. You know, if, if you, for the saved and the unsaved, understanding the Lord's will are two completely different things. If you are unsaved, there is only one thing God wants from you. He does not want your money. He does not want you going to, he doesn't care if you go to church. He does not care if you give all your possessions to the poor. The one thing he wants if you are unsaved is for you to admit that you are a sinner and to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's what God's will is for the unsaved person, that they turn from their sinful ways and they turn to Jesus. Nothing else matters until that happens. For the saved person, he wants it very simply to live like it. You say you put your trust in Jesus as your Savior. He wants you to demonstrate it in your life. And I can't pick out one verse and say, this is it. Right? We can say the greatest commandment is to love God and to love man. But ultimately, which you will do, but we see what does that look like in what Scripture says. There's not one verse. There is everything in Scripture that we look and see. This is what God's will is for my life as a believer. So, Wednesday night... We started talking about, this is dancing, by the way, okay? We were talking about uh, the prom. Uh, we have like this five-question uh, Bible study that we do with the kids. We've done it for a couple weeks. And I said, what are some things that you talk about at school? What are some things that come up? And, and one of them was the prom. And so I said, okay, we're going to talk about this. What does the Bible say about the prom? And I know this is a touchy subject, or it has been in this church. Uh, I told the kids, I said, I never went to a prom. My, my brother went to a prom. My sister went to a prom. I never even went to a dance. This is a little sideline ha-ha. I was asked to a dance where the girl asked the guy. And I would have probably said yes, but she was pregnant and she was engaged. I'm going to dance like this, right? Doesn't make sense. Okay, so that's beside the point. So we're talking about dancing. And I said, okay, what's the world's viewpoint on dancing? Well, obviously, if you want to dance, go for it. What is your viewpoint? And we had a, a plethora of answers that are still written on the wipe-off board in that room to say, what do I think about this? And then I said, you know what? We're going to see what does the Bible say about dancing. Now, has anybody here ever looked at the word prom in the Bible? Guess what? It is not there. So we had to get a little bit creative as we looked up the word dancing in the Bible, because typically that's what you're supposed to do at a dance. I don't think they do that very much here, but that's what you're supposed to do at a dance. And so we started looking, what does the Bible say about this? Well, first of all, Psalms 150 verse 4 says dancing is a form of praise. Did you know that? It can be a form of praise. In Ecclesiastes 3, 4, uh, 3, verse 4, it says there's actually a time to dance. There's a time to sow, a time to gather what you sow, just there's time to weep. There is a time to dance. Okay, sounds like this is looking good. I can, I can shake my body, move my feet a little bit. David danced before the Lord. He's excited. He's dancing. His wife didn't appreciate it, but he's dancing in front of everybody, excited for the Lord. 
And I love this one. I did not come up with this. I wish to, to pieces that I did. And the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son gets all his half of the possessions. He runs away. He squanders all his wealth. And he comes back. Dad walks him, welcomes him in with open arms. Big brother's out in the field. Always doing the right thing. And, he, and the servant goes out to him. And he says, what's going on? It sounds like there's singing. It sounds like there's dancing going on. You know, this was a story. This was a parable. Who told it? Jesus told it. Jesus included dancing in the parable. He didn't have to. He could have said there's a party going on and whatever. But the fact that he included dancing in this says, you know what? There's a point where dancing is okay. But there's a little bit more to this because I'm not just going to say any and all and everything is fine. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says something might be permissible, but that doesn't mean it's beneficial. Just because you can, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not go to the prom, doesn't mean that's always the best decision to make. Now, I'll be honest with you. Noah went to the prom last year. This year, Noah went to the prom, and I didn't really think anything of it because my sister went to the prom, my brother went to the prom, my parents went to the prom, I was invited to a dance, and I probably would have went. It didn't even cross my mind. Uh, and so I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm soaking this in because this, this is the idea. I'm trying to learn what is God's will is. I've got to go to Scripture. And I can't just be like the guy who looks at himself in the mirror. I've got to take what I've heard and I've got to put it into practice. I don't have to like it. It's just what I need to do. So he says, you might have permission to do these things, but it's not always the best thing. And I'm not going to say the prom is right or wrong, but I just want to say we've got to run our own opinions, our own thoughts through what does the scripture say and go by that, not just what I want. So uh, we told the kids, it might be okay to go dancing, but that's may not always be the best thing. Here's a reason why. And Song of Solomon says, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. You know what happens at prom? People get all dancing and they're all in love and they get all excited, you know? I think that's why they have the after prom party. They say, you know what? We just know you guys are excited and you're dancing and you're happy. We've got to like change the mood. Let's get out there and give them toys and prizes and get them bowling so they can get their mind off of each other. Right? If you're dancing, that might occur. And if you're in that situation, 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee youthful lust. If you're in that situation, you're going, wow, this is a hot babe. <laughs> I, I better leave. Right? I got to flee the situation. It doesn't say specifically, don't dance. It's just saying, you take the whole scripture, you put it there and say, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be here. It started off okay, but that's it. Colossians 1.10 says, live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. That includes the words that come out of my mouth. That includes the thoughts that come out of my head. And that, can, that includes my moves on the dance floor. Right? Everything about my life better honor and please the Lord. So you want to know what God's will is? Spend time in His Word. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It doesn't say specifically, don't go to the bar. It doesn't say, don't go to the prom. It doesn't say, don't go fishing on Sunday morning. Right? It doesn't say those things, but you can get the whole of Scripture and decide what is the Bible telling you, and then put it into practice. We need to understand what the Lord's will is. So, 
So far, what we've talked about, we've talked about there is a call on our lives to be wise. It, it really is a command, but it's a choice you have to make. We are called to make the most of every opportunity to be wise. We only have so long. We only have so many opportunities. We are called to live our lives according to the will of God. And we only know that through what scripture says. But how am I able to make the right decisions at the right time? We are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which is an abandoned life. It's an act of using or spending something recklessly or uh, excessively. So we don't want to be drunk on wine, which leads to a wasteful life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, I have to, before we get into this verse, I really do want to point out that when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. So that's not what this is talking about. It's a one-time thing. It's a permanent thing. You cannot lose that. He's a guarantee that you have eternal life. Okay, so, but this feeling is something that can happen multiple times. I mean, it should be happening constantly throughout all day, every day. And it is a choice. So to be filled is to be constantly controlled by something. In this case, it's the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul here gives an example of somebody who is drunk on wine, which I guess in that culture was a pretty big deal. You think about somebody, if you've ever known anybody who's drunk or you see it on TV, what is affected by their alcohol? Everything, their speech, their reaction time, their judgment. I mean, people, some guys all of a sudden think I could drive 90 on, on around corners that are 40 miles an hour. Some people think I could take on that big guy because all of a sudden I got this alcohol in my system that says I'm bigger and stronger than this guy. Um, but it affects your, everything about you. That's what, that's what alcohol does. And Paul uses that as an example to say, you guys get the picture of how the Holy Spirit should control your life. Just see how alcohol controls the life of this person. But I'm going to stop here for, for a second and say, you know what? We are not just going to throw alcohol under the bus or drinking under the bus. Because you think about there are, there are a plethora, there are a number of things in your life that can control you. You, know, you think about the person who's controlled by grief. They've experienced a tragedy. They've gone through a tough time. And then from that point on, nothing makes them happy. They're consumed by it. They're sad. They're depressed. They neglect themselves. They waste away. It affects every part of their life. Their whole, their whole demeanor, all their decisions are wrapped around how they're feeling as a, as a person of grief. You can do the same thing with worry or stress. Somebody who's control, consumed by stress, all their decisions really go through that filter. I'm, I'm stressed, so now all of a sudden I'm biting off somebody's head. So all of a sudden I'm getting ulcers. So all of a sudden I'm pulling out my hair. So all of a sudden I can't sleep at night. It, it affects my personality. It affects my mood. Uh, you, you can have it with bitterness. I know people who are bitter. And it, it, it's a filter through everything goes through. And it affects everything. So you, we all can be controlled by something. It can be alcohol. It can be bitterness. It can be pride. It can be drugs. It can be this need for affirmation. And it will permeate our lives. It will come out of our faces. It will come out of our attitudes, out of our personalities. Paul just happened to pick drunk because that was in their culture as something that's pretty obvious. 
in their lives. And he says, you see how alcohol affects people's lives. He says, you know what? I'm not going to compare the two exactly and say as, as one affects it, so should the other. But you get this idea of the control that alcohol has on somebody's life. The Holy Spirit should have control on somebody's life. Now, the Holy Spirit is, doesn't take you and make you like a robot to do and make the right decisions. Just like the alcohol didn't make you drive your car 90 into a brick wall. There's just the impact that that alcohol had that affected every decision that you made. The Holy Spirit should be impacting every decision that you make. But it's something that you have to choose to yield yourself to. You've got to put yourself under the control of the Holy Spirit. Say, fill me up. I want you to direct my life. I mean, I, I prayed, God, I, I want to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit as I speak these words. I don't want you guys to hear anything from me. Even as corny as it was and ha-ha, I don't want you to hear from me. I want you to hear only what... What God wants you to hear. Even if I don't say it, I want that to be what you heard because that's what it is to be under the, the control of the Spirit. It's to be energized, to be uh, directed, to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is calling me to do. But it's a choice you have to make. And if you do, it's going to just naturally come out in your life. A drunk, I bet if he, if he could, would be in full control of his faculties. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be slurred if he could help it. He wouldn't be having bad judgment if he could help it. He'd be walking straight if he could help it. But he can't. The Holy Spirit, if he's in your life working, it's going to naturally come out. The fruit of the Spirit. You're just naturally going to have love. You're going to naturally have joy and patience. It's just, just going to be the fruit. An apple tree cannot help but grow an apple. Right? It's just what it is. On vacation, we're hoping to see an orange tree. It can't help but grow an orange. And Paul is saying, it's what's going to naturally come out of you. And we see that... It's going to affect your interaction with each other, and it's going to affect your interaction with the Lord. He says here in verse 19 through 20, he says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to, the God, to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, I didn't greet you in song this morning. When I saw uh, uh, Stephanie meet me at my front door looking for the key, I didn't say, Stephanie, I'm glad to see you and hear some Bible verses. Voila. She would have like shut the door and walked away. Right? So it's not saying like sing to each other, but there should be this joyful interaction with each other. A happy one. An encouragement from God's word. You know, at the Monday Thursday service, I got a I got an earful of encouraging words. Okay? Um, and I, I appreciated it. Um, I, I don't remember who I saw. Bert's husband. Alan. Okay. So every time I talk to Alan, I feel like he is doing this. He is quoting scripture. He's, he's not trying to preach to me. He's not trying to teach me, but he is encouraging me with what scripture says. We should have a joyful encounter with each other. But we should also be worshiping the Lord together in song, in a variety of ways. It says in hymns and spiritual songs, we should be singing together music to the Lord. 
And it says, give thanks to the Lord. In a church setting, praise time. Hey, I got to praise. I praise God for what healing God was doing in Jerry's life. I praise God for the weather outside. While I'm at home, while I'm driving the school bus, I'm praising God for stuff. That's what we should be doing. It should be a natural thing that comes out of our lives from what Paul says. So today, we are called to make wise decisions. We are called to make the most of every opportunity. We are called to understand what the Lord's will is, and we are called to be filled with the Spirit. And that's the only way we can be uh, under the influence. The only way to live the Christian life is under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You want That's the best way. It's the only way. So, so I can't. I I I cannot control my physique, right? I wish I could. I would be a lot bigger, a lot stronger. I I would have more hair in my head. I would run faster. I would I would enunciate better, right? There's a lot of things I would do, but I can't. I would be a whiz at the piano. I would be a whiz at the guitar. I would be a whiz at all sorts of things if I was given that ability. And I would ask for all the spiritual gifts, and they would be the best spiritual gifts. Uh, here's a little side note. In July, I'm going on vacation. I, I uh, emailed Dr. David Jeremiah. It didn't work. I said, I'm looking for some pulpit supply. And would you fill in? And he, they said no. Uh, so I asked Charles Fendall. I haven't heard back yet. But you would, nobody would be thinking, they'd be Jer- David Jeremiah who? Charles Wendell, who they'd be saying, Josh McLaughlin, we want him. If I could have control of that, but I can't. The only thing I can choose to do and have control of is to live under the right influence, the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's the best way, it's the right way, and it's what we're called to do. So I challenge you to do it. It's your choice. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you so much for being God. I thank you, God, for the even that you care enough that you would let us be under your influence uh, to be directed by you, God, that you, you don't make us struggle and uh, in life, but you're willing to guide us and direct us through each step that we make. I pray that, God, I would live my life under your influence, that no matter what you're telling me to do or asking me to do, that I would just go immediately to do that, that I would decide now and it would make a difference later. God, I just I thank you for your word, and I just pray for your, your blessing on each of us as we try to live this out. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.